All right. I thought I'd end today, start out ending today uh, with a couple of stories. I am a sucker for children's books. Anybody like a children's book? Yeah. You know, there's something simple. If you want to learn a foreign language, you know the best, best way to do it? Start reading children's books. And uh, so a long time ago, I started collecting them, and I brought a couple of them with me. And I thought it would be um, just kind of a sweet way to, to end. Is I'm not actually going to read this whole thing to you, but I want to show it to you. These are called flip books. And so this is The Lost Lamb and The Good Shepherd, but if you turn it over, it's The Good Shepherd and The Lost Lamb. So it will tell you the story from two different perspectives. And I love to read it from the perspective of the animal. I always do that because we, I've already read the perspective of the Good Shepherd, right? So it's kind of fun to read the perspective of the animal. Speaking of animals, where is the woman in here who rescued a squirrel in a hotel room last night? <laughs> right? <laughs> you guys, you got to see her pictures. Your life will never be the same. It'll be like, I could find a flying squirrel in my bedroom tonight. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. I'm like, okay, I have traveled the world. I sleep in hotels all the time. I have yet to find a squirrel in my hotel room, but now I believe it could possibly happen. So this is good. So we're gonna, I'm just going to skip sort of to the end. So this is the story. Remember, you guys have read the story of the lost sheep, right, from the perspective of the Bible, from the perspective of the shepherd. This is the sheep. So he's saying, I follow the path. I, I thought about the Pilgrim's Progress a little bit, too, as I was reading the story, and I don't have very many of these left, but... Um, but it would be a wonderful thing for you to take home. I followed a path, winding left, curving right. Then a thundercloud boomed and a storm hit the night. Anybody walking through a storm? I ran for some bushes, but thorns scraped my back. My stomach was grumbling. The sky had turned black. I heard in the distance the screech of an owl, the growl of a bear, and a wily wolf's howl. So this is after the sheep decides to wander away on purpose. He decides to leave the shepherd. He figures he can do his own thing, go his own way, and he'll be just fine. Oh, why did I leave? Now I'm lost and alone. No shepherd to guide me. No fault but my own. One of the things I love about this story is it lays the, the blame squarely on the sheep. Right? We live in a culture right now that doesn't want to take blame for anything. We love our victimization. We love to be the victim. Here is a sheep that wandered away from the shepherd, and he's realizing, I did this to myself. I suffered through brambles. I rambled and stumbled. My hooves slipped and slid down the cliffside. I tumbled. I clung to a branch. I was weak in the knees. And that's when I cried, help me, somebody, please. Anybody ever feel like this? This is me on Thursday. I'm not going to lie. But why would the good shepherd answer my plea with 99 sheep who would care about me? Don't worry, I'm coming. I know that you're lost. But trust me to find you, whatever the cost. And then the good shepherd reached out his strong arm. He brought me to safety and kept me from harm. Isn't it beautiful? The good shepherd saved me. He carried me back. Now I am his lamb, safe and sound, back on track. Isn't that beautiful? So if you, uh, if you read the stories, let's way, either with, I read them for myself, but sometimes I read them to my kids. <laughs> but I love this. He says, wait, you thought you were finished, don't you? It's time to take another look. Close and flip the storybook. So then you close it. And flip it, and you'll get to see God's heart from you from his perspective. So there's this one over there. There's another, I think the only other one I have left is Jonah, which is another awesome story to hear from the perspective of the fish who was just, you know, swimming around in the water going, what am I doing here? I have nothing to do. And he, and he finally reached the end of the story, and he says, you know, uh, uh, who knew that my job was to swallow and spit? Like, he sees that his role in God's plan is no less significant than Jonah's was to go to Nineveh. He recognizes that he has a role to play. And that's why I've been telling you all weekend. Each one of you has a role to play. And this is the last one I'm going to read to you. I love this book. Um, this is called Be Still. And actually, 
Alana, could you hold this for me? That'd be so much, that'd be so much better than me doing this. Thank you, friend. All right, so this is straight out of the Psalms. And I actually found, uh, Tyndale sends me new children's books when they come out, and I, I'll review them, and I, I, mean, I maybe pick two or three every season. I love this so much. This is just the Word of God, but I love how they frame it for you. Be kind. Be silly. Be a friend. Be yourself. Be still. Shh. Slow down. Take a breath. No hurrying, no scurrying or worrying, no wanting, no whining, no fussing, no rushing. Safe and still. Can we all just take a collective? It's Sunday. Be still and peaceful and quiet and calm. Be still and know, I love this, know my joy when you obey. Know my grace when you don't. Know my word, know me. Be still and know that you are safe, that you are loved, that you are always on my mind, that I will never leave you. Be still and know that I see you, I hear you, I know you, I love you. Be still and know that I am real, I am good, I am patient, I am with you, I am the great I am. Be still and know that I am God. Isn't that beautiful? This is God's heart for you straight out of the word of God. There is something powerful, women, about reading uh, to your children. Something powerful about reading uh, as a family. Jay and I read to our children every day. In the years that I have homeschooled my children, often we would read two and three hours in the morning. Some out of the word of God, some out of missionary stories, biographies of men and women who follow God with a reckless abandon. You see, I learned something a long time ago, and that is this. If my children leave my home and they don't have the character of God inside their hearts, it won't matter the curriculum that I chose to teach them the ways of this world. So we're going to study a little bit about this morning. I'm going to, we're going to be talking about what it means to abide, and the Lord's given me a special message, and hopefully, hopefully I will leave you with a little piece of God's heart for you. So before I do that, let's close our eyes and come before the Father in prayer. Lord Jesus, oh Father, I thank you that we can be still and know that you are God. That whatever happens around us, Lord, your heart for us doesn't change. Your heart is good. You said in Romans that everything that happens to us can be used together for good. And so, Lord, as we talk a little bit about what it means to abide this morning, I pray, Lord, one more time that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would give me joy as I communicate your heart to these precious women. And Father, more than anything else, I pray that every woman who is in this room would know her infinite worth before you, that she would seek your face, Father, that we all would, your heart, your words, your ways. I pray, Lord, that as we sang this morning, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No matter what comes in the road ahead of us, no matter how high we climb or how low we fall, that we would recognize that you are always with us. And just like that lost sheep, you would leave the 99 to come back. Father, I pray that you help us to stay on the path so that we might walk in your shadow, Father, right up nestled near your heart. We love you, Lord. We invite you here. Thank you for what you've done and for what you are doing and for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I thought it would be kind of a, a fun way to end. We're going to talk a little bit about what it means to abide this morning. And as you know, I am a homeschool mom. I love to make everything into an acrostic. I love to label things. If you give me a label maker, I will happily label everything in your house. 
Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to abide this morning. But I want to start off with a verse from Psalm 107, uh, verse 2. So if you have your Bibles, you know I'm always going to encourage you, ink up your Bible. Always open your Bible. If you have an opportunity and you see me reference a verse, look it up as fast as you can and ink it up and write down the date that the Lord told you. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Each one of you in this room has a story to tell. And you know what God wants you to do, women? He wants you to tell it. He wants you to tell it. You don't know what God will do with your story. You don't know how he'll use it in the life of somebody else. But God says he wants you to tell your story. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit of my story this morning in the hopes that you will be encouraged also to tell your story. The first letter in the word abide is A, always choose God's ways. When we choose God's ways, part of how we choose his ways is we look for his fingerprints. We look for the, for the breadcrumbs on the path that we're on. We say, Lord, show me that you're here. Show me that I'm walking with you. And God says that he'll do it. I showed you guys a picture of my family yesterday morning. And here they are again. Those are my people. I came into breakfast this morning and someone came to me and she said, you just look so cheerful and you're yellow. And I said, this is my going home shirt. I'm going to go home. Uh, to my people, to my family. And I brought a couple other pictures uh, for you this morning. This was taken at uh, my daughter Savannah's house. Right across uh, behind her is the, um, the river uh, where our family uh, lives. That's my daughter um, and her two little boys. That's a Wesley and Noah. I told yesterday they call me Mamsie. And I said uh, when I started the other night that I did not start out my journey um, ever really wanting or knowing how to be a wife or a mother. I never really understood God's heart for you. And so I'm going to take just a few minutes this morning because you know what I was telling Alana as we were talking about uh, you guys this morning, I was telling her, you know, the thing that the Lord impressed on my heart when I showed you the picture of my family yesterday was the audible gasp that went up. And I don't know if it's because you guys were like, holy moly, I didn't know people had that many kids. But you know what I think it is? I think it's because everyone in this room recognizes the gift of children and the gift of a legacy that God gives us when he allows us the incredible opportunity to bring a life into this world and to build a home with our husbands. And we are in a culture right now that does not value that role. The Bible sees womanhood, or the Bible sees womanhood and God sees motherhood as something precious, but the world has reduced it to little more than a stopover on the highway of life. And I know that some of you are in this room right now and you are sacrificing the best years of your lives for career, for influence, and I'm not here to shame you or to say that it's wrong, but I want to say to you right now that when we embrace God's heart, that means that we choose our obligation over our opportunities. I'm going to say it for you again. We choose our opportunities, or our, our obligations over our opportunities. There will always be opportunities. Always be opportunities for you to make money. There will always be opportunities for you to speak in the lives of other people. Some of you have had uh, lunch and dinner with me this week, and I've tried to be available and pray with you and love on you and speak into your lives and to sit with you at dinner and breakfast. And one of the things I know many of you have heard me say over and over again is that um, the Lord has been speaking to me very plainly and very directly about my role as a mother. And for 10 years, my husband and I have traveled around the country with our children. We threw them in the back of a motorhome, and I'm going to show you some pictures that will make you laugh. We threw him in the back of a motorhome, and we, we did what God asked us to do, which was take a message of hope and healing to families across this nation and around the world. And as my kids have gotten older, the dynamics in our home have changed. Some of you guys are in, the, in that season right now. Some of you are here, and you have little kids. Some of you are here, and you don't have children yet. Some of you are single. Some of you are kids who are graduated from, from uh, high school, and they've moved out of your home, and they've become adults themselves. But God's heart for you along the journey never, ever changes. His heart is for family. His heart is for you to love the people that God puts into your life before you do anything else. And I want to encourage you, just like the Lord's been encouraging me, he said, Heidi, don't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. Don't sacrifice your testimony on the altar of opportunity. Don't sacrifice anything that I have given you in my name on something that is going to be brief and fleeting. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 
that the wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. There are lots of ways to tear down our houses. And we do it sometimes because we don't understand God's heart for us, because we don't understand the beauty of the relationships that God has given us. Because some of you are sitting in this room right now, and God has given you the tremendous opportunity and calling to be a mother, and you don't, and, you, and your heart is so not in motherhood. And can I just encourage you right now? You have a limited number of years in which to influence your children. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. It's a precious thing. You know what I'm realizing? As as I'm getting older, long after I have walked my walk on this earth, long after I have done what God has asked me to do, I will have children and grandchildren who, by the grace of God, will be sharing the gospel until the Lord chooses to return, until the Lord comes back. That's why we're here. And so I want to turn your hearts for just a few minutes toward home today because the world in in this radical push toward emasculating our men and lifting up women and elevating uh, feminine the femininity, which by the way, God's heart is for women. Don't let anybody ever tell you his heart is not for women. If you don't believe me, you haven't read his word. God elevated women to positions of authority. He honored women. Women were the first people that saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. God gave you a feminine soul and a feminine heart and a feminine appearance. You reflect a beautiful part of your creator, God. We have a different roles to play and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I was telling the women at my table this morning, I, I love that my husband is a man. I love that he can fix the washing machine. Praise Jesus. Right? We have different roles to play. I don't want my husband to ever think that I don't appreciate his masculinity. I love his masculinity. We should be embracing the masculine in the same way that we embrace the feminine because God says we need each other. We're good for each other. Whether we get married or not, we're good for each other. I was in the post office in Battleground, little Battleground, Washington, a year and a half ago, and I saw a woman coming to the door, and her arms were full of packages, and a gentleman with a cowboy hat on and some boots stepped out to open the door for him, and she let him have it. Do you think I can't open the door for myself? And I thought to myself, he may never do that again. Women, every time someone opens the door for you, can you stop and look him in the eye and say, thank you, thank you. I never miss an opportunity. Somebody, somebody wants to hold the door open for me, I am thanking you all over the place, right? Give them an opportunity to be the protectors that God has created them. We have a lot of them blown it and, and overused that, that, that gift, that strength that God has given them and abused women, absolutely. But it just like we don't want to overreact to the sin of somebody else, we don't want to overreact to that. And that's what's happening in the culture right now. We want to bless our men and pray for them. That's what God wants us to do. So I thought I would introduce you a little bit to my man. Some of you guys haven't spoken to him very much uh, this weekend, but his name is Jay, and he is the best gift that God has ever given me this side of heaven. And I thought it'd be fun for you to show show you some pictures of the way we were, so we'll just start right here. (laughs) That's right. I would like to blow that picture up for you, but it's just too embarrassing. Uh, But that was Jay when he had a mullet. So, you know, uh, uh, business on top and party in the back. My husband was the leader of a rock and roll band. And they traveled all up and down the West Coast. At one point, they opened for Petra. We did a lot of work in the music industry. And for the first, you know, 20-some-odd years of our marriage, I followed him around. I was his groupie, like, with my, with my lighter and everything. He is the most, and he didn't play here this weekend, he, he is the most gifted guitar player I have ever heard in my life. It's amazing what he can do with a guitar. He plays on the worship team, and he gave up that career so that he could uh, be around for his children. It is very difficult to raise a family and be in a band and be on the road. And he made a difficult decision to lay that down for what he felt would be something better. And so for the last 30 years, we've been raising children and Uh, I just put a few pictures. That was 1989. So 1988 was the year that Jay and I uh, fell in love. Oh, my goodness. All the 80s music just comes flooding back right now. I'm a Phil Collins girl and a Journey girl, and it's a long story. Anyway, so then, uh, and all of our kids know all the 80s music. I know. Don't email me, but it's true. We've indoctrinated them, so that's what parents are supposed to do, right? So uh, 1989 was when we got married. You can see in 2010, that was... um, 
when I was pregnant with our last daughter. 1997 was when our son Skylar was born. He was the smallest of the seven children that the Lord gave us. Sometimes people ask me, did you ever plan on having seven children? And the answer is quite simply, no. <laughs> no. And in fact, I wanted, I wanted, I thought three or four children. I came from a family of seven children. Jay came from a family of two kids, and he just wanted two. And I was like, baby, why should we have just two kids? Think how bored we'll be. We will just be so bored. It will just be agonizing. And I literally begged him for number three, uh, which is why I put that picture up there, because that was our number three. So that's Skylar. He was born at just over, uh, just under, rather, five pounds. He was really little. He was born a little bit early. And, uh, and after that was born, Jay decided, well, he had a thing for even numbers, so he thought we should have four kids. It wasn't hard to talk me into number four. Uh, I was pretty easy to convince. And then uh, number five, we, we're actually not sure how that happened. You, by five, you should figure it out, but, um, uh, but uh, we apparently didn't. And so uh, she was genuinely surprised, and that child tested every everything I knew to be, because uh, I thought I was a pretty good mom up to that point. If you've read Becoming Mom Strong, then you know that I was like, I thought, I am killing it at this motherhood thing. Right? I had two girls first, and then we had two boys, and they were pretty compliant children as a general rule. Like, if I gave them instructions, they were pretty, I mean, we had the occasional meltdown, and the, but summer, dude, everything. I mean, I remember seeing a woman in Walmart one time, and her, to- her, her, her toddler was throwing the fit, and I remember thinking, oh, Jesus, forgive me. I remember thinking, I have a book for her. <laughs> I didn't know I was pregnant with my fifth child at the time. And the Lord was like, Heidi, let me teach you something a little bit about yourself. I'm going to give you a daughter, and you can name her Summer. And everything that I said to that girl, she challenged me. If I said sit up, she sat down. If I said run, she walked. If I said look, the sky is blue, she was like, no, it isn't. If I spanked her, she said, is that all you got? And I was like, right. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) This is me, right? Or take the child, one or the other. (laughs) Either the wheel or the child, but something has got to give, right? And you know what the Lord taught me through raising raising Summer, who right now is almost 16 years old, who is such a bright light for the Lord Jesus. I remember, I told you guys the other night, I just kept saying, Lord, help me channel this for your glory. Because I was in Walmart in almost exactly the same place where I had really literally judged the woman just two years before, and it was my child having to meltdown and everything. Everybody was looking at me the same way I looked at her. I was an island. They were like, girlfriend, you got some parenting problems. And I was like, you don't understand. I'm trying everything. Nothing is working. Right? Listen, motherhood is sanctifying. It is. Do you want to know how completely sinful you are? Have a kid. Have a child. It's true. And God is doing something, women, he's doing, those of you girls who have not had children, listen, God wants to do something in your life, and he will do it through the process of raising children. And I am, I am, I want to encourage you to embrace God's heart for families. Embrace his heart for families. The Lord has done more in my life. Walking through the peanut butter and jelly season, and when I mean that, if you, if you read Becoming Mom Strong, I have a whole section on the peanut butter and jelly season, and that's a season where I felt like I'm just covered in peanut butter and jelly all the time. My husband would come home from work, and he would be, yeah, the staff went out to a Thai food restaurant. I remember one day, I literally got mad at him. I was like, I do not want to hear about one more power lunch. I don't want to hear about the restaurants that you've been to that I had no idea existed. I don't want to hear about any of that stuff because I still have jelly in my hair. I have jelly in my hair. I've been covered in peanut butter and jelly for about six days straight now. So don't tell me about your Thai food or I'm going to get mad and throw a sandwich at you. (laughs) Right? And I realized that in the peanut butter and jelly season of my life, this is the end. This is 2012 was the end, me coming to the end of the peanut butter and jelly season in my life. It began in 1991. And it started to come to an end in 2010. That picture right there is Jay dancing with Sailor at our daughter Savannah's wedding. And we play, if you guys have heard Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, Cinderella, can I just encourage you not to do what I did? We played that song at Savannah's wedding. And every, for every season of that song, a different one of our daughters came out. And so Sailor came out first. And at the end, Sierra, our, our daughter Savannah, who was getting married that day, came out. She came home today with a ring on her hand, right? And we were just, what? I, I'm sitting, this is a bad idea. It was a bad idea. Anyways, beautiful memories, whatever. So, uh, this is me at the end of the peanut butter and jelly season of my life. That was me about two months before Sailor was born. 
I love this verse out of Matthew. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. It had its foundation on the rock. Women, I want to ask you where your foundation is right now because even if you don't have a family of your own, you're still building a foundation. You are building a foundation and if the Lord should bring a man into your life someday, and he has been building on his foundation, the Lord will put those two foundations together and there will be no force on this earth that can tear it down because that's what God does. When the Lord builds a house, that house stands. And unless the Lord builds a house, the Bible says you labor in vain. You labor in vain. This is me coming to the end. I still had about three years left of the peanut butter and jelly season in my life. And during the peanut butter and jelly season in my life, I said no to a lot of opportunities. And my saying no to those opportunities was a resounding yes to training my children in righteousness. There's nothing, women, that you will ever do in this life that will ever compare to the investment that you make in the relationships that God entrusts to you. And it is the most precious thing. I want to encourage you, don't sacrifice your marriage on the altar of homeschooling, the Bible says, or on the altar of raising your children, the Bible says that the marriage is the most important relationship in the home. You honor your husbands, women. We honor our husbands through respect. We honor them by telling them how much we appreciate and love them. I wish that someone had told me this when I was 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 years old. But because I grew up in a home where my parents were screaming and yelling at each other all the time, I didn't understand how to love my husband. I didn't understand how to respect him or how to nurture him. The Lord has given me an incredibly patient man who over 30 years has given me the opportunities to learn how to love him well. It's worth the investment that you make. I want to encourage you, don't sacrifice what God wants to give you on the altar of anything that seems like it would be better if it is temporary. And almost everything that we do in this life is temporary. In 2009, my husband and I decided to do something really crazy. And I was talking to somebody about my, my RV trip, so I thought, oh, that's my son, Skylar. I should probably tell you. That's Skylar when he was in Thailand. This is a couple of months ago down there on the, I guess you're right. That's Jay building the bunk beds for our daughters in the house where we currently live. Uh, if, you can, if you want to see more pictures of them, you can see them on Instagram because I took a picture off of Pinterest. I actually did this to Jay. This is what a good man I have. I gave this to Jay. And I said, could you build this like in a weekend? And um, you can't. But anyway, he did build it. And so the girls, we have uh, uh, three, our three youngest daughters all share a room. And so he built bunk beds into the wall for them because our youngest daughter is seven and our oldest daughter who shares a room with her is 16. And so as you can imagine, there's a wide, uh, wide gap of uh, bedtimes and things that we enjoy. So each one of the girls has their own private little bed with curtains that close and a shelf and plug-ins and a lamp um, so that they still get the blessing of sharing a room. I'm gonna say it again. The blessing of sharing a room they're like, why do you have to share a room? I'm like, listen, I share a room. Get used to it. This is good for you. Sanctifying. You're going to share a room your whole life. People are going to leave their socks on the floor your entire life. Okay? So get over it. So I wanted them to share a room. We actually have other rooms in our house, but we wanted our children to share a room for that reason. So in uh, 2009, we decided to take our kids across the country with us. The Lord had, had invited Jay and I on a journey of um, sharing about what God had, was teaching us about homeschooling and about the importance of education. And like I said last night, I'm going to repeat it again. Education is not neutral. It is not neutral. If your children are in a public school, be in there with them. Be willing. Alana and I were talking about this on our way home because I know her kids are in public school. you got to be willing to engage in the battle wherever your kids are at. And I knew that for my life, my husband and I began to realize that we could not do what God wanted us to do and, and, and entrust our children to an education system that we were going to have to undo every day when they come home from school. So we decided to take our kids out of school a few years after that. This is before Sailor was born. A few years after that, we, um, we got a motorhome off of Craigslist, which I do not recommend. Just don't do it. And uh, we drove that bad boy from Washington State all the way to New York and down to, Cal and down to Florida and down through Texas. We drove 37,000 miles. That, I know, right? That sigh that you have, um, I also made that noise. 
um, a lot. That motorhome broke down in almost every state in the union. <laughs> and, uh, and we cried a lot uh, on that trip. This is our family in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This was right before we were robbed, literally robbed blind. Uh, we went to uh, New Orleans for the day. And I was thinking, I'd only ever been to actually the New Orleans exhibit in Disneyland. <laughs> so I was like, that's the image that I had in my head. And I wanted some catfish. And I wanted to hear some really good music. So we went to New Orleans, and we parked our motorhome about uh, right down, right near the French Quarter, also a bad idea, but whatever. So we, we park it, we got out of the motorhome, we started walking the city with our six children. And we were, we were literally looking for catfish and good music. Like, I, my, I had my, like, good music radar on. I mean, our family loves music. We are always singing in our house. And we thought, we're going to get some great music. And I remember uh, I was about five minutes into, into our trip into downtown New Orleans, and I started seeing things that I was like, I'm not good. <laughs> Avert your eyes. <laughs> Children, look over here. Wow, look way, just, just wow. Let's just, okay, we're going a different direction. So we turn and we went, went a different direction. And I saw a police officer. And I said, excuse me, can you direct me to the family-friendly part of your city? <laughs> and he said, you're in it. <laughs> he said, if I was you, I would turn around and go home. I would not bring my children here. You, this is not a good place for your children. And so we began to turn around and go home. And do you know what? In the 20 minutes that we were gone, it's a long story, I have time to tell it. Uh, when we got back to our motorhome, we had literally, everything we owned was gone. In 20 minutes, they, they literally took everything. They took five laptop computers, took the TV off the wall, took our, um, the only thing, I had a little inkling. Women have this, right? This little intuition. Right before we went in there, I told my husband, I said, I don't feel super great about this. So I'm going to take my computer, which had all of my, my books and everything on it, and I said, I want to hide it. He was, hide hey, look around. It's fine. I'm like, I don't feel good. I just, super weird. And Jay, who loves his guitar, his Martin, more than just about anything in the whole world, was just like, okay, I'll hide my Martin too. The Martin and my MacBook were the only things that survived the theft. Everything else was taken. And I remember, you know, as we, we left New Orleans just sobbing and we were terrified and people were literally walking around the motorhome asking us why we were so far from home. It was terrifying. And we, we drove to Cracker Barrel because it was the only place we felt safe. And while we were at Cracker Barrel, our eight-year-old son decided to steal some candy. And I was like, did you not see what just happened to us in New Orleans? So we marched that kid back into the manager, and we were like, give it back. And the manager was like, it's okay. And my husband was like, it is not okay. Give it back. We do not steal. Parenting is sanctifying. It's sanctifying. This is how we ended our trip. That's right. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay. I'm fine. Uh, we got another motorhome a few years later, and it caught on fire in Cheyenne. And... Uh, I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't actually get in motorhomes now. <laughs> anyway, all right. So what I want to encourage you to do as we're talking about this is listen. The best things that God has done in my life as a woman have come through raising children. It's come through raising children and embracing God's heart for me. And as I'm watching my daughter now, 25 years old, and she has no prospects in mind, and I'm thinking that is actually good because God said, wherever I lead, wherever I lead you, be there. So wherever God leads you, whether he leads you to singleness or whether he leads you to marriage, embrace it. But don't reject God's heart for marriage just because the culture is doing it. Don't reject God's heart for family just because the culture tells you it's not that big of a deal. God wants you to walk in obedience to him and wherever he leads you, be present. As we're present, we learn how to abide. And that's the next thing. And no matter where you go, always choose God's heart and God's ways. And be, the word be and abide is to believe that God is always at work. Believe that he's at work. In the peanut butter and jelly season of your life, believe that he's at work. When you, when you come face to face with heartache, believe that God is at work. I told you, I began to tell you the other night the story of my sister and her son, Bobby, my nephew, Bobby, who was uh, struck in a, uh, by a car going 50 miles an hour as he was back into his driveway this last June. It has been, and our family has suffered terribly uh, in my lifetime. My, my father, I told you, was abusive. Uh, my mother left him when I was 18 years old. And our family was moved into a safe house until the locks on our house could be changed. Shortly after my dad and my mom divorced, uh, Jay and I got married. Right about that same, in fact, Jay was there when the locks on our home were changed. And shortly after that, um, I want to say about two years later, my mom married another man, a pedophile, literally doing time in the Washington State Penitentiary. Uh, he was in prison when she married him, and uh, she brought him home to our family to, you know, obviously uh, against all of my very loud 
tearful objections. He lived with my mother for seven years, proceeded to serially abuse my three little sisters who were still living at home. He served 15 years for what he did to my sisters. My family has gone through an incredible amount of suffering. And I'm here to tell you right now, God does not want you to live in a state of victimization. You are not a victim. You are, uh, you are a person who is traveling on the journey through the world that we live in, which belongs to the enemy of your soul, the adversary of your soul. And he will do anything he can to take you off the path. He will disillusion you. He will try to discourage you. He will, he, he will lie to you. And we can choose to believe the lies or we can choose to believe that God is always a work. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. If you want to learn how to abide in the Lord, you believe that he is always at work, no matter the circumstances that you find yourself in. You go back to what you know is true. In the middle of the night, when you're struggling with thoughts that you know don't, don't, don't come from the Lord, you go back to what you know is true. This is what I learned when, my, when Bobby was in the hospital. I learned to praise God in the storm. I learned to praise him. This picture was taken uh, Shortly before Bobby went into surgery, it was probably about 15 hours after his accident when they had said he will never wake up, his neck is broken so severely he'll never walk again. They said he would not feel anything from his shoulders down. Uh, he would be a quadriplegic. And my sister Hope, she, I told you, she hit her knees on the waiting room floor of the trauma center in Portland, Oregon, and she began to call out to the Lord of Heaven's armies, Father, here we are. We trust you. We trust you to heal our boy. We're asking you to heal him. And even if the healing doesn't come, we declare that you're good. If you take him home, you're good. If you leave him here, you're good. If he never walks again, you're good. If he never speaks again, you're good. But Lord, we know you can do it. You can part the Red Sea. You raise Lazarus from the dead. Father, we know you can do it. We believe you can do it. And if it's in your heart to do it, Father, would you do it, please? As we watch Bobby over the next weeks and months, we learned to turn our worry into worship. Write that down. When you learn to turn your worry into worship and you learn to surrender in the deepest places of your life, God will show himself faithful. He will show himself faithful. This picture was taken not too long after my sister and I went to uh, a meeting. I would go and I would take notes. About once every two weeks, we would meet with a team of doctors that were working with Bobby. And I told you the Pacific Northwest is, is a culture of death. And you'll know that, you find that out when they put someone that you love on life support because they don't leave them on life support very long before they start saying things like, you should think about terminating, you should think about if you would want to live this way, you should think about all these things. And right shortly after Bobby was uh, injured, I flew to Alabama. I asked my sister, obviously had been on the calendar for a long time. I said, Heather, I won't go if you want me to stay here. This is what I'm talking about, obligations over opportunities. I went to my sister and I said, Heather, I will not go if you need me to stay. And she said, no, go ahead. Uh, Bobby, we can't do anything about him now. Just go ahead. And we'd been literally living in the hospital with my sister. So I flew to Alabama with my husband. And we drove from Alabama up to Chattanooga. And we had dinner with some friends of ours, our, our friend who's a physician. And I was telling him about what was happening with Bobby. And I was weeping over the dinner table. And I said, they're talking about turning him off of, uh, ter turning off of life support. And my friend slammed his hand down on the table. And he said, you never take a 16-year-old child off of life support. You do everything you can. You wait and you pray and you watch. And I have seen God do miraculous healing. You go back and you tell those doctors, no, we believe the Lord of Heaven's armies can heal this boy. And you will not lay a hand on him until God decides what's going to happen to this boy. And I think that's why God had me go to Alabama. I had a good time speaking there, but I think God had me there for another reason. God is always at work. He is always at work. Long before Bobby was struck by a car, I was signing contract to speak in Alabama. God knew that I was going to drive up to Chattanooga. He knew that my friend would be there. He knew that he would speak truth into my life when I needed to hear it because I was feeling discouraged. Did I want my nephew to live like that for the rest of his life? No, no. But we need people to speak truth into our lives when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And God will meet you there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So this particular day, we had, we had been praying over a new set of MRIs that were going to be done over Bobby. We were looking for a healing in his brain. His brain was literally drowning in blood. And they couldn't put a shun in to drain the blood off because it would have killed him. And so we were watching for any sign of healing to come. And we prayed over those MRIs and we stood out in front of the hospital and we lifted the name of Jesus up and we believed that God was going to heal Bobby and we would see it in MRI. And so Heather and I went rather expectantly into this meeting and we stood there and the doctors pulled out the MRIs and they said, we have bad news for you. Not only is he not getting any better, we've discovered new areas of injury. 
And at that point, they brought in palliative care and an attorney and someone from, uh, someone from, from DHS. And my sister at that point looked at me and she couldn't say anything. These are the moments when you don't know what to say. And so I asked the doctor who was sitting at the head of the table, there's 15, uh, 15 doctors around us and attorneys and nurses, and I said, well, what would you do if this was your daughter? And he said, I would start asking myself if this is what I wanted for my daughter. And I looked at my sister, and she didn't say anything, and I said, okay, thank you. Now, you have to understand, my sister had divorced Bobby's father a long time ago. These two hate each other with a hate that, that only divorced people understand. And they hated each other, and they were sleeping together in the same hospital room, one on the couch and one on the floor. My sister came to me that, uh, three days after Bobby's accident, and she said, Heidi, I am in the third level of hell. My son is on life support, and I'm sharing a room with my ex-husband. And she cried, and she cried, and she cried, and she said, God is not listening to me. I survived an abusive marriage only to have my son hit by a car. Now I'm back here with my husband who, who, who doesn't believe in God and can't understand the healing that I'm praying for, and I don't know what to do. And I said, Heather, we just got to come before the Lord because I don't know either. It's okay, women, not to know. It's okay not to know. It's okay to say, I don't have the answer. Forget what they tell you on the news. You don't need the answer. You know what you need? You need to go to the one who has the answer. And so Heather and I left that, left that meeting and we got on the elevator with uh, her ex-husband. We didn't say anything, all the way down to the ICU. And we walked into the room and, my, and we, we had put my sister's phone right up next to Bobby's head. And we were playing a Spotify channel on there and a song called Thy Will Be Done came on. Some of you are familiar with it. And the song was playing and as we walked in the room after Heather had just heard the doctor basically say, I think you should take him off of life support. And the song is playing and I am thinking, oh my word, my sister's going to take that phone and throw it across the room. I thought, this is not the song one. And I, I went to turn it off. I went to turn the song off because I thought it would just hurt my sister. And she picked up the phone and she put it next to Bobby's head. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. She began to sing it with him. She began to sing it over him. Thy will be done. Thy will be done, Father. I know that your will and your way is best. And I don't know what to do. And as her tears dropped onto Bobby's face and dripped down past the ventilator tubes and we heard the rushing sound of the, of the machine that was breathing for my nephew, my sister's prayers became an act of surrender. And at that moment, I believe we began to see a healing in Bobby's life that continues today. My sister who laid down her rights and her desires and said, I'm going to exchange them, Lord, for your will and for what you want. And the Lord began to answer her prayers as she turned her worry into worship. Learn to turn your worry into worship. When you are frustrated with what's happening around you, crank up the praise music. One of my favorite songs, and I said this on my podcast the other day, I grew up in the, in the 70s and the 80s, and of course, so then I know all of the contemporary Christian music. Anybody remember the Imperials at all? So we sang with the Imperials, right? They had a song called Praise the Lord. It's kind of an anthem, right? And it said, now Satan is a liar. And he wants you to believe that you're a pauper when he knows himself you're children of the king. So lift up the mighty shield of faith. The battle must be won. We know that Jesus Christ is risen, so the work's already done. Praise the Lord. He can work with those who praise him. Praise the Lord for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you drop powerless behind you when you praise him. God works through women and men who are willing to praise his name no matter the circumstances that they find themselves in. Turn your worry into worship. It's been over a year since Bobby's accident, and I wish I had time to tell you the whole story, but the bottom line is this. A few weeks after that, we began to see movement in Bobby's arm. Actually, Jay and I were singing, and uh, um, I shared the whole story at my women's conference because I, I actually have moments of this on video. Heather went to, to attend a fundraiser because you can imagine millions of dollars of medical bills are now starting to pile up. And uh, she said, Heidi, would you and Jay sit with Bobby because we had made a decision not to leave him alone. So there was always a family member with him, 24 hours a day, 
seven days a week, no matter what was happening, somebody was with Bobby. And so Jay and I took the shift that day, and Jay brought his guitar, and we began to sing, and we sang his favorite songs. We sang Quando, Quando, Quando for him. And we sang Veggie Tales. And we sang a whole bunch of songs over him, and then we began to sing about surrender. And as Jay was singing, and as he walked over, he said to me, I said, look, he's following me. And I said, no, he's not following you. No, he really is. I looked at him again, and so I said, well, back up a little bit, because Bobby, his eyes, he was sort of in a vegetative state, so his eyes were sort of half open almost all the time. We would put eye drops in his eyes and try to, you know, talk to him and see if he could see us, and nothing ever registered. Sure enough, Jay would move to the side. I said, I said, Bobby, do you see Uncle Jay? And sure enough, ever so slowly, he'd move his eyes. I was like, oh, my goodness, he's in there. He's in there. And we began to sing, all you are thirsty, all you are thirsty. All you are weak. Come to the fountain. Take a drink from living water. We were singing over Bobby, and we began to see God doing amazing things. Shortly after that, he began to move his left arm, and then he moved his left leg. They said he would never have. If he moved his shoulders, it'd be a miracle. He would never move his legs. He would never walk again. That boy is walking today. He is walking today. Listen, you are never going to see me doubt the healing power of God ever again because I watched the Lord of Heaven's armies make a lame boy walk. I think we have forgotten who we serve. I think we've forgotten whose we are. And when you see God move in power like that, even if God were to have taken Bobby home, we would never doubt his power again because we knew that his heart was for us. And when we say, Father, have your will, we, want, we need to mean it, right? Turn your worry into worship. The next one, the next letter in abide is I inquire of the Lord. I was going to read the story of Jehoshaphat this morning, but I don't have time. I want to encourage you to do it. It's found uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. But this is what uh, any good leader will do. Any good mother, any good child of the Lord. If the Lord gives you an opportunity, inquire of the Lord. Go before the Lord and ask him, what do you want me to do? Listen, abiding is not passive. It's active. It's an act of the will. When we choose to abide in the midst of a circumstance that seems unfathomable, we are choosing to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Abiding is an act of the will. And so we inquire of the Lord, Father, what do you want us to do? And then when the Lord makes his will known to us, we make the decision to act with courage. To act with courage. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, I said it last night, I'm going to say it again. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And in Nehemiah's trouble, I mean, he was surrounded on every side. And the Bible records that the first thing that he did was to go to the Lord. The first thing he did was to go to the Lord. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, as the story begins to unfold, we see that Nehemiah, after the Lord emboldens him, he goes to the people who are around him and he gives them instructions. He says, act with courage. We know what God wants us to do now. We're going to act with courage. And he says, and may the Lord be with those who follow him. If you believe that God is with you in every circumstance, you can learn to abide no matter what happens because you know that God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He will always be with you. D, determined to use God's weapons. Worship, we talked about this the other night, and I'm going I'm to circle back to it one more time today. Worship is a weapon. It is one of the primary weapons of spiritual warfare. It's why I've been telling many of you have come and talk to me this weekend, and you're talking to me about the anxiety that you struggle with and the depression that you're dealing with and the things that are happening in your family. And my first words to always are, turn your panic into praise. When you begin to realize I'm losing control of my thoughts, ask the Lord to fill you with his thoughts. Begin to sing songs that you know. Even if they're simple songs, begin to sing them. A warrior can rest when his weapons are working. Write that down. Warriors rest when their weapons are working. When you know that your weapon is working, what does a warrior do before he goes into battle? He sharpens his sword. He makes sure that his arrows are loaded into uh, the bow. He makes sure that everything he needs are into his quiver. He makes sure that the bow is working because he wants, when he goes out onto the battlefield, he wants to be able to trust the weapon. You will always be able to trust the weapon of worship. Why? Because God says he inhabits the prayers of his people. You want to see God at work powerfully in your life? Learn to worship him. Learn to use worship as a weapon. What are the people who follow you watching warrior women? What are they seeing? Do they see praise as a primary weapon in your arsenal? Second to none is the power of praise. Second to none. How did the people of God make, uh, how did the people of God watch the walls of Jericho fall down? What did they do? They worshiped. 
they marched around Jericho and they worshiped. Yep, several years ago, the Lord put it on our hearts to, uh, to open up a homeschool resource center, a building that was just for homeschooling families in Vancouver, Washington, where the culture is sliding into a moral abyss. And I thought, I don't know how we would do that. We don't have any money. Listen, women, I'm here to tell you right now, I want to bear witness. God brings people without any money to kingdom people who do have money because God wants glory with people who have money and people who don't have money. You come together and you're like the wonder twin powers, right? Wonder twin powers, activate. <laughs> 70s. Right? And so we began to pray in faith that God would provide what we did not have. And my husband and I found a series of buildings that were vacant out in our neck of the woods. And we began to call people together to pray. And we said, listen, you see the trouble that we're in. We are in trouble. And we want to do something about it. We want to quit whining and start worshiping. We want to get onto the battlefield. Say, Father, use us. We're, we're willing. What do you want us to do? When was the last time you said, Lord, I am all yours. What do you want me to do? And the Lord said, start a homeschool resource center. And so we were like, okay. We have no money and no time, but okay. And so we found these buildings and you know what we started to do? We started to march around them like the children of Jericho. And this was in a kind of an interesting, it was during the 2016 election cycle. So all the people around us were waving their resist flags from their windows and wearing their kitty cat hats out on their porches as they watched us marching around. And you can always tell the Pentecostals from the Baptists, right? Because the Pentecostals had their tambourines. I mean, we really made quite a scene. So we had, so we had, uh, we, we would meet in the park and I would pray and there's maybe 40 of us, a lot of women there pushing strollers and a lot of moms and grandmothers and dads who got the day off. And we said, we need help from the Lord of heaven's armies. We want to buy those buildings. And the lady said, well, how much are they? And I said, 1.3 million. They're like, all right, we better pray. <laughs> that ain't coming up anytime soon. So I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to meet twice a week. And if you can't come, pray with us at home or if the dentist's office or wherever you are. And we're going we're gonna to meet here if we can meet. And we're going to march around these buildings. And we're going to claim them for the Lord. And so that's what we did. And the Pentecostals brought their tambourines and the Baptists stood in the back praying. <laughs> and the Wonder Twin Powers, poof, God heard it all. He heard it all. And I'm sure that the neighbors were like, what is going on down there? It's this motley crew of, of women and children from every kind of background you can possibly think of. And we were like, Lord, we believe that you can do this. We are claiming the ground underneath our feet right now in the name of Jesus. We are praying right now, Father, that you would bring someone who can, who can fund this project. Bring it, Father, because we know you can do it. And I remember my daughter saying to me one time, Mom, what if God doesn't answer your prayer? You're going to look so stupid. <laughs> Listen, walking out, stepping out in faith requires courage. You risk looking foolish. David said, I am willing to look even more undignified than this because I believe that God is listening and he is answering my prayers. And if it's not going to be this way, it's going to be another way because God asked me to do it. And even if he didn't give us what we wanted, our responsibility is still to do what? It's still to obey. It's still to obey. When God said, march around those buildings, you better obey. And so we began to march around the buildings. And then a few months later in July, on a very, very hot day, and there was no electricity in these buildings, we held a fundraiser. And I invited our senators, people who didn't appreciate homeschooling or believe in it. I invited everybody who I could think of with influence and the homeschool community. And I stood up there in a beautiful blue dress, and I looked very undignified. I said, I believe that God wants to bring a healing to Clark County. And it needs to start with education. And we want to start encouraging fathers back to their families and mothers back to their children. And because you know, who's, you know what's under attack in the culture right now? The family. The family is what's under attack. Why do you think we're pushing transgenderism? The family is under attack. Why do you think we're pushing homosexuality? The family is under attack. Who created the family? God did. I was telling some of the women at my table this morning. I was in the Portland airport. One of my favorite places to people watch on the planet. And I, since I'm there a lot, I get to watch a lot. And two women came towards me, and I'm sure that they were living a homosexual lifestyle, and they had shirts on that said, the future is feminine. And I literally was like, <laughs> okay, y'all don't seem to understand. If the future is feminine, you're going to be dead. <laughs> because we need each other. It's simple biology. The future could not be feminine without the men. We need them. But we've forgotten why. Because the family is so under assault right now. 
in the culture. And Jay and I were like, Lord, give us a place where these people can come and feel safe, where we can teach them how to train their children in righteousness and turn the hearts of the fathers back toward the Lord and to their wives and to their children. This is God's heart. And so I invited everybody that I knew. And you know what? Hardly anybody showed up. There's maybe 75 people there. We set out chairs for about 300 people. Probably 75 people came. And I, my husband and I, we, we spoke the word with power anyway. And all the kids that were volunteering, they'd made all these hors d'oeuvres. And we had this beautiful thing that we were doing. We went home that night. And my husband and I, even though it didn't turn out the way we wanted, we were like, the God still heard us. We obeyed the Lord. Two days later, I got a phone call from a local uh, businessman. And he said, Heidi, uh, I was at your, at your thing the other day. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he said, the Lord told me to buy those buildings for you. So who do I write the check to? And I was like, <laughs> just a second. Jay, you got to come upstairs right now. And we cried and we praised the Lord and we said, Father, thank you for bringing provision. You know what this man had been doing? He'd been waiting for the Lord to tell him what to do with the provision that God had given him. He'd been waiting for it. You know what happened two months after that? The city of Battleground said, we're going to slap you with $700 in fines and building fees. And this gentleman said, I don't think that's the building for you. And he decided not to buy it. And we were devastated, but we were not defeated. And a few months after that, we got another phone call from the same guy. He called us up, and it was a long story. But he said, Heidi, he said, I just remembered. I own another building in Vancouver. I guess when you own a certain number of buildings, you forget which buildings you own and which ones you don't. So he called, and he said, I own this building in Vancouver, and I just remembered I have tenants, and they're moving out in October. And I was like, awesome. And he goes, and you can just have the building if you like it. And I was like, well, okay. I said, that would be amazing. And I'm thinking, you know, like a once upon a child strip mall store, you know, like a little, I'm thinking, what is this building going to look like? So he gives me an address and I go over there. And this is my, this is the faith of my husband and I, right? We go over there and we're sitting out in front of this building and it's raining and it's cold and it's February and it's this huge building. And I was like, we are in the wrong, we got the wrong address. This is the faith of Heidi St. John. I was like, well, look at that. That is way too big. Wrong address. We should call David. So we called David and we said, David, we, we think we're at the, at the wrong place. And he goes, well, this is the address. Are you, uh, and he gives it to me and I go, well, I think it's dark though. It's, it's hard to see. It's raining. The building is gated. I brought, a, I wish I had a better picture, but that's, uh, I brought the front of it. So uh, I was sitting outside of the building. You can't get in because it's gated. And he said, uh, it should be gated. Okay. Yeah. Is it gated? Yes. He said, you should see three truck loading docks. Do you see them? And Jay was like, one two, three. Yeah. He said, there should be a giant American flag in the front and a big flagpole. And we were like, yep. He goes, that's the one. And again, Jay is just sobbing. He goes, you guys pray about it. I said, I don't need to pray about it. I've been praying about it for 15 years. We'll take it. We'll take it. That was in February. We, we, we got possession of that building on October 1st of last year. We opened for classes on October 30th. Spent an entire month, 17 hours a day, stripping up carpet and uh, painting the walls and getting it ready for students. And last year, we had over 500 students come through Firmly Planted Family. Kids are coming to know the Lord Jesus. They have watched God work in incredible ways. Women, I want to ask you where your faith is today because you serve the God that can move mountains. You serve the God that raised Lazarus from the dead, who parted the Red Seas, who created the ground that you're standing on right now. And why do you not believe that he can provide for your every need? He can do it. He wants you to praise him. God is in the details. Learn to praise him. The last part of the word abide is ease for enjoy the journey. I'm going to come back to what I said the other night. Joy is not dependent on your circumstances, women. It is the unmistakable sign of the presence of God. Joy is not dependent on whether or not your son is lying in a coma in the, in the emergency room. Joy is not dependent on whether or not you think you've got enough money to pay your rent. Joy is not dependent on whether or not your child has chosen to walk away from the Lord. Joy is a matter of of letting the Holy Spirit work in and through you. And when you do that, you learn to abide. That abiding is that quiet confidence that says that my hope is not in this world. My hope rests in the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm going to embrace the person he created me to be. With all of the femininity that I can muster, I will give praise and honor to the Lord and thank him for what he's doing and what he will do as I walk in right relationship with him. Amen. That's what it looks like. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Father, that because of your great love for us, we can abide in the shelter of your wings, in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Father, I pray that you would give us a heart for what you have a heart for. Father, turn the hearts of our men back to their families, Lord. I pray that you would turn the hearts of the women in this room to your word, that they would love their counterparts that God has created in his image. Father, I thank you that we have been made different, that you have made us to complement each other. Father, I want to praise you publicly for the amazing man that you have given to me to call my own, to have and to hold. Father, I thank you for the incredible partnership that happens when two people who love the Lord come together for a kingdom purpose. Father, protect our families. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would put a protection around our families that would be impervious to the attacks of the enemy. Father, make us so aware of the spiritual battle that we are in that we cannot help but get on our knees before you every day and put on the armor of God. Father, I pray for every young woman in this room who is single and is wanting, wanting to know what you have for her, Lord. You have said that you are a father to the fatherless, that you are a husband to the widow. Father, that you are the one who is always with us. Lord, give us your dreams. Send us where you want us to go. Use us in the best way that we can be used for your kingdom, Father, because we realize this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Help us, Lord, as we pass through to abide. Help us to turn our panic into praise, our worry into worship, that you might be glorified in every circumstance of our life. And we give you the praise, and we say that you are good, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for having me here this weekend. It has been a joy.